Part Two, Chapters Seven and Eight of Johnny Reb and Billy Yank by Alexander Hunter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Barry Eads. Chapter Seven, Hard Times. Time in camp was chiefly spent in collecting wood and cooking all manner of things that might induce our meagre rations to go as far and last as long as possible. But two crackers and a half pound of fat meat per day, the devil of a particle else, offered no great range for experiment, neither did it satisfy the hunger of able-bodied men. They resorted, however, to the old expedient of chewing tobacco, while for the same reasons the horses began to nibble the bark from whatever tree they were fortunate enough to find. The black horse embodied the glummest set of men ever seen. Some tried to forage, but would come back in the evening completely fagged out and in a savage humor, for there was nothing to be had. The lonesome farmhouses here and there had naught to give or sell, the inmates themselves owning scarce enough to keep body and soul together. At last orders came to change camp, and it was with something of the old buoyant feeling that the troopers found themselves in the saddle again. There is a true old saw to the effect that it is neither wise nor desirable to jump from the frying-pan into the fire, but these soldiers had successfully accomplished it, for if Brandy County was bad, Madison County was worse. One was negative unhappiness, the other positive wretchedness. It was a common saying among the cavalry that when a crow undertook to fly over Madison County it must needs have a haversack to keep from starving. Truly, they were a sad people to camp among, for having been almost eaten out, they had but little left and hoarded that. The cavalrymen found it an unlucky region for even a passing ride after dark, provided he carried no rations with him. He might travel for hours through the low, scrubby pine woods and reach some house at last, only to be told there was absolutely nothing for either him or his horse. In vain would he try the old dodge of asking for a place by the fire and a handful of hay. They would tell him that their children had not enough to eat and that their cattle were starving. What could he answer? Nine times out of ten it was a woman who would tell this. The men were in the army, and sometimes it was only necessary to look into the wan, pinched faces of herself and children to know that every word which she uttered was true. There was nothing then to do but to mount his anatomy of a steed and keep moving. Keep on with his stumbling over the rock-bound road as best he might. For to an impartial observer it seemed as though all the stones in the universe had been dumped into Madison County. Although poor, Madison County gave to the South splendid soldiers. It furnished a company to the fourth, and its commander, Captain Struther, we considered one of the most daring and skillful officers in the regiment. His men were worthy of him, for they always followed his lead unfalteringly. The fourth went into bivouac near Madison Courthouse, and then commenced a battle of endurance against starvation. Very often the men would get no meat at all, only two crackers a day, which would be eaten in two minutes, and then nothing else would pass their lips until the next day. They began to grow mutinous, and many saddled their horses and openly left the camp, to be absent for days on foraging expeditions in the neighboring county. The officers tried to check this, but failed. Indeed, they perceived that the men were weakening from famine, and that it was too much to expect from human nature to sit still and die by inches. Worse was to come. 
the hard bread was to be changed to a pound of meal a day meal it was called but the god of hungry souls saved the mark nothing more or less than a mixture of ground corn cobs husk and sawdust it was withal so sour that any decent dog would reject it this was often every morsel they would have for their rations and they dared not sift it for there would not have been enough of pure meal to fill a cup full rations consisted of a pound of this acidulated dry bran and a quarter of a pound of fat pork which served to grease the skillet it is a startling fact that long and continuous hunger brings out the animal in the face and the likeness becomes so strong that the most careless glance is arrested by it little by little the intellect disappears from the countenance divine reason from the eyes and the face grows gaunt lean and lank while its expression becomes that of a lower order of creation a brutish animal one soldier resembles a fox another a cat there is a hyena yonder with locked jaws and savage eyes is a bull terrier the one with that honest open look is a mastiff and so on from one to another until you fancy the doctrine of the transmigration of souls an easy creed to believe after all circe changing by her magic potion the grecian argonauts into swine is but an allegory representing hunger what a great leveller famine is under its potent influence the courier forgets his craft the king his kingly way the chesterfield his politeness the gentleman his creed and all men become the same for it strips away every mental attribute as the valet disrobes a form, leaving all molded after one image. A soldier can stand sieges, breast battles, and bear hardships, and still, like a cork, dance buoyantly from wave to wave of adversity, but this slow perishing in blank inaction day after day, this long drawn-out agony, is more than men can endure. Neither they, nor their amor patria, can resist its assault if the troopers were famishing so were their horses for it was now december and the pastures were brown and bare of course the animals had to depend upon the issued rations which to do them justice were only enough to sustain life it was sad to see the wistful half-human gaze the poor brutes cast upon their owners mutely imploring food in their distress they would actually eat bushes dried sticks and leaves fully one half of them were incapable of getting up a gallop a trembling trot being their fastest gait. The truth was, the cavalry looked like a hospital for all the broken-down street-car horses, or a glue factory where all antediluvian steeds awaited slaughter. A cavalryman in his saddle presented a far more dilapidated picture than ever did the lean knight de la Mancha mounted on his rosinant. What a deplorable, suicidal policy it turned out to be! that pursued by the government in making the horse the personal property of the cavalryman and permitting him to return home when anything happened to his cattle even on such excuses as the animal's thinness these horse details as they were called kept on an average fully one-fourth of the men absent about this time a large squad of the black horse much to their delight obtained horse details and not possessing a private corral of their own prepared to go within the lines of the enemy and capture mounts from their friends the bluecoats this was the general custom of the fauquier men under such circumstances and thanks to its success the cracks of the fourth managed to keep in the saddle as for the riffraff of the company few of them had horses and so kept up with the wagon train 
or, if there were any of them so unfortunate as to own one, something was always happening to the poor animal. And once off on a furlough, it required strong faith to hope to see him again under six months. Our party, composed of seven, saddled our lank animals and struck for the camp of the enemy. Our caparison chargers so impaired by want of food that they could hardly get out of a walk. Such specters, in short, that the sun found it hard to cast a shadow with them. The balance of the command cast envious glances upon us, for it was like being in purgatory and seeing one's friends depart on a ticket of leave for paradise. As for me, I was so starved that no thought entered my head except that connected with my stomach. I had dreamed, talked, and thought of nothing but eating for the last two months, and my rapture was like Justice Greedy in Massinger's great play, a new way to pay old debts, and I felt like exclaiming, Oh, here will be fasting for over a month. I am provided. Guts croak no more. You shall be stuffed like bagpipes. Yet in all of this trying period I heard no word of discouragement or distrust from the soldiers. Not one among the rank and file had a doubt of success, and the country people lived literally from hand to mouth, raising no crops, stripped bare of all cattle, and managing to keep from dying by a thousand shifts. The young boys and girls set their rabbit gums as regularly as the day came, and the whole country flocked to a deserted Yankee camp, snatching the half-consumed rations which were liberally left behind, and laying in a stock of hardtack and pork, which did much toward keeping them alive. Even among some of these unlettered country people, who could not understand what the fighting was about, there was no cry of submission. They would only ask us, with wan faces and sunken eyes, for God's sake drive the Yankees out for good, and soon, too, for we cannot stand it much longer. End of chapter 7 Chapter 8 Within the Enemy's Lines The Federal Army, now under command of General Meade, lay for the most part in Culpeper County, though one corps of infantry and a division of cavalry had gone into winter quarters in Fauquier. Along the Orange and Alexandria Railroad, their line of communication and supply, strong garrisons were encamped at all of the various stations to protect the road from the attacks of Mosby, whose name had now become a household word. The rebel army was stretched between the Rapidan and Gordonsville, with General Lee's headquarters at Orange Courthouse, the Rapidan River being the dividing line between the hostile forces. It was the design of our detail to get within the enemy's line on foot and lurk near their camp in Fauquier, so as to take prisoner any cavalrymen they might find, and by this simple process obtain good mounts. With this intention we made an early start from camp so as to get through Madison County before dark, striking off in the direction of Little Washington about twenty-five miles on the left, where we proposed crossing the Rappahannock by flanking the enemy's pickets, whom we did not think extended so far. Our little Jontu, after a tiresome ride on our decrepit nags, camped for the night in the woods, an unlooked-for proceeding, as we had fully expected to reach the river before dark, but the road was so rocky, the horses so weak, that we could only go at a very slow gait. However, this we accomplished the following evening. Situated upon the hill above the water was a large farmhouse. We rode up and were received most hospitably by the old farmer, who made us alight and took us in. We determined to make an attempt to cross the river after midnight, for it was impossible to find out beforehand 
whether or not the ford near by was guarded by yankee vedettes besides it commenced to rain and with every hour the downpour increased until at last a storm was raging this made us particularly anxious to cross before the rise of the river would render it might be for days all fording impossible our kind entertainers promised to attend to the horses for a very moderate sum so there was nothing to detain us that night was as dark as dark could be one could not see his hand a few inches before his eyes we marched in single file and with lockstep each man's hand resting on the shoulder of his file leader like so many convicts on the way to prison meals it was enough to try the nerves of any one to listen to the roar of the turbulent water all unseen in the blackness as it rushed seethed and bubbled over the rocks i am familiar with every foot of this ford said taylor and i know it to be safe my only fear is that the enemy's pickets are on the other side but that must be risked shall we take off our breeches asked one if you wish i do not propose to shed mine answered caner a slab-sided fellow with features like a sheep i will for one said i for in case we should be swept downstream we will certainly drown with our clothes on that's so chimed in several out of the six five removed their lower garments and rolled them in a bundle we strapped our pistols more firmly around our necks having left our sabres and carbines behind and then in the same order single file with taylor in front we made our way down the slippery bank slippery perhaps it was for the head file's feet flew from under him and he slid into the water followed by the rest whose hold one upon the other had never loosened like a gigantic colony of bullfrogs we plumped squarely into that big pond Whew! ugh how cold the water was just as it came from the mountain rills it started our teeth off in the castanet business with sufficient vim to supply music for a whole ballet hold on to one another boys shouted taylor above the storm don't let go your hold whatever you do the water was up to our waists and the current was nearly carrying us off our feet in close order we were slowly making our way across and had nearly reached the opposite bank when plump splash the hind man who happened to be my unfortunate self stumbled headlong and as i only clutched the more tightly i pulled the next man down he hung on to the third and carried him down and so on until the whole crowd was scrambling at the bottom very fortunately though the water was deep a bend in the bank above kept off the current or the consequences would have been more serious as it was all the denuded five lost their bundles which swept downward and were never seen again a few steps brought us to land and then we listened with hearts in our mouths all right said the leader the yankees are not here it may be all right for you replied one of the shivering soldiers but what are we going to do i'll be damned if those weren't the last pair of breeches i had said doc butler one of the sufferers i feel like i had been burned out of house and home with those garments gone drowned out you mean suggested a friend who could not enter as deeply into the sorrows of the occasion as he might have done having kept his trousers on i'll be blessed if i go to anybody's house in my bare legs exclaimed lyle ashton a long shambling looking fellow not only my breeches but my drawers and my boots too moaned i if this is what you call scouting remarked ned martin i have a contempt for it i've enough of it let me go back to the infantry as fast as i can come on fellows said the leader 
We can't stand talking here all night. We'll go to Marshall's about a mile from here. Maybe he has enough britches for you all. We'll stop there tonight anyhow, if the Yankees are not around. In the same close ranks we started off. It was freezing. Each man was shivering, while our limbs were purple with cold. We reached the house, and a loud knock on the door caused a light suddenly to spring up within, and then the flames disappeared to be followed shortly after by the master at the open door. Shading his eyes from the flaring tallow dip, he peered intently into the darkness. He was very pale, and evidently thought us to be some marauding party of the enemy, for after a few brief words of explanation, he drew a long breath of relief and invited us to enter. No sooner did his eyes rest upon the strange crowd, fully apparelled as to the upper half, the lower denuded, than he dropped into a chair and laughed until the tears rolled down his cheeks. If he made an effort to recover his voice and do the honors of the house, one sight of the lugubrious set would start him off again as if he had just begun, until it seemed probable we would spend the night there. The serious crowd, who, by the way, had been standing as solemn as owls, looking like so many pelicans arrayed with one feather, gently reminded him that they were cold. Gentlemen, said he, I beg your pardon, but I have lived here as boy and man for fifty-eight years, and never saw a sight like this. Oh, Lord! he exclaimed, going off in a fresh paroxysm, as with an effort he conducted us upstairs to a room in which there were three beds. Can you manage to crowd in here together? he asked. We answered that we could, and we did. In the morning we were awakened by our host, who informed us that breakfast was ready, and that his old woman had overhauled his wardrobe and found breeches for all. And some of them are pretty dilapidated, he added as he left the room. He was right. Two pairs seemed to have done service for years in stuffing a broken window. Two were comparatively good but one pair had evidently been worn by the gentleman whose duty it was to scare the crows from the cornfield. They were simply fearful to look at. But on they had to go. Our host was a short, pot-bellied man, while we were all thin, very thin, and these breeches, which would have fit Meinherr Vanderdecker, could have held us all. It was that or nothing, so in we dropped, and cut each one as funny a figure as the artful dodger himself. Ashton, who was six feet tall and about as fat as a mullen stalk, saw his outfit refuse to come below the knee, leaving his shanks sticking out in a remarkable manner. "'I was never so dressed in my life before,' he exclaimed piteously, and he was believed. My share of this unique contribution was a pair of Yankee pants discarded as worthless by the owner. It was a ludicrous procession which filed into breakfast. The old lady nearly went into fits, though she tried to be polite and condole with us, yet as she listened to our recital she wiped her eyes repeatedly. Having finished our meal and made our adieus, we started on our journey, the sorriest-looking collection of humanity that ever greeted human eyes. Ashton stalked in front, an old slouch hat falling over his face, his jacket reaching only halfway down his back, and his pants gathered loosely around his waist by his pistol belt, and hanging in ruffles around the bare thin knees. The rest were equally grotesque. Lal was heard complaining of his stylish and novel suit. Because it let the wind in, he said, as if a man could ever be satisfied this side of Eden. It was still raining, and forsaking the road we made our way in as straight a line as the crow flies, through woods, fields, and briars, meeting no soul on our journey. It was nearly night when we halted, 
and seeing a house stopped for the night the owner an old gentleman bent double with age informed us that the yankee camps were but a short distance away on the following evening the party drew up in a woods nearby and after a stormy discussion agreed to separate taylor only wished to rejoin his wife who lived not far distant the two butlers wanted to go home and remain there ashton and caner had no fixed idea about anything they did not covet a horse the only object in life that the soul of the former craved was a pair of breeches so they all scattered leaving ned martin and myself to pursue the object of our journey after a little deliberation we struck out for libertyville a small village of one house not far from bristol station around which the cavalry were camped the pines were thick and as we could have found no better place for an ambuscade we lay in wait for three days all in vain the yankees had learned caution by frequent lessons not a cavalryman stirred from camp alone nor even in squads a courier sent from one brigade to another not the distance of a half mile must needs have a large escort of horsemen they seemed to think the dense piney woods concealed scores of bushwhackers and guerrillas ready to seize the first trooper who incautiously ventured out consequently stringent orders had been issued against any soldiers stepping outside the cordon of guards which encircled each cantonment during those three days we halted over a score of yankee deserters who without arms were striking northward these were not disturbed but instead all the information was given them that they needed with regard to roads and route they were a hard-looking set real gallows birds and bounty jumpers of whom the northern army was well rid they without a doubt only bred dissatisfaction wherever they went southern scouts in this section were taken care of each household extending the warmest welcome without a thought of consequences if discovered but it was not safe to linger in any house where negroes waited it would have been worth hardly a sense toss-up as to whether or not they would slip over to the yankee camp and give information that rebel scouts were in the dwelling consequently it was the custom to leave the premises immediately on obtaining food making a lair in the deepest recesses of the woods where scouts were safe enough no enemy ever penetrated into the depths of the forest finding how fruitless was our mission and hearing that the black horse had been sent inside the lines for the winter on scouting duty and had established a rendezvous at salem a village in fauquier some seventeen miles away martin and myself proceeded thither where we found the troops scattered in various farmhouses engaged in recuperating themselves and horses but ready at the shortest summons to mount and away on foray or raid the christmas holidays passed like a dream the mountain region of fauquier county was comparatively untouched by the war except an occasional raid no enemy camped on its hills it was considered the most fruitful section of mosby's confederacy the inhabitants were without a single exception devoutly loyal to the state and fed and sheltered the black horse troops and mosby's partisans throughout the war every winter the black horse were sent on detached service to fauquier not only to recuperate but to do all the damage they could to the enemy and they aided mosby material in his raids and several of his officers were taken from our ranks End of chapter eight